Please open your Bibles at Psalm 63. And uh, as I've been saying over these last number of weeks, there's an outline available uh, on the website that you might find helpful. One day, we are promised a magnificent glory, a place of beauty and purity. But until then, of course, we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in a broken, fallen, suffering, dying world. A dry and weary land, as Psalm 63 tells us. A wilderness. That's what we're living in right now. Despite there being much that is beautiful and attractive about our world, there's much stress and pressure and pain. There's spiritual warfare all around us, and we're in the middle of it. There's a hostility towards God, towards the gospel, and towards us as people. In fact, it's a very dry and a very weary land that we live in. And so easily we can be blown away. So easily we can be knocked about. So easily we can be battered and bruised. And it's easy just to give up on God, to give up on faith, to give up on the church. So how do we ensure that this doesn't happen to us? Particularly in these weeks, maybe even months, when we cannot meet together and have that mutual support and encouragement, when fellowship is so much harder, when worship is restricted, how can we keep going in a dry and weary land? Well, one thing is that we've got to choose our priorities, good and godly priorities, because when these are in place, they'll help us to stand in the warfare It will keep us from slipping and sliding away. It will enable us to uh, keep the faith, to run the race, to fight the good fight right to the very end. So spiritual, biblical, godly priorities. This is crucial so that we might cope with the pressure and stress and strain of living in this hostile, broken, fallen, sick and dying world. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now David knew all about pressure. As we will see, he wisely made God his number one priority in the midst of that pressure. But David was in a wilderness, a wilderness experience. Probably this was not the time that Saul was chasing after him, trying to kill him. It probably was during the time of the revolt of Absalom, his very own son. 2 Samuel 15 verse 6, we read, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, and he set up a rival throne in Hebron, and he declared himself to be king. And instead of staying and fighting his son, David fled to the wilderness Things like this shouldn't happen to a king. Betrayed by his very own son? Exiled from his throne? Humiliated in the desert? Now, of course, our experience is going to be somewhat different, but perhaps equally painful at times. In my opening prayer, I mentioned the deadly days that I remember reading about many years ago. 
And in pastoral ministry, I find that very often these are the things that cause such pain in people's lives. Doubt, disappointment, depression, disillusionment, defeat, despair, death. These can cause our wilderness living. And Psalm 63 speaks into our lives about how to survive. Yes, how to survive and how to thrive in a broken, fallen, nasty, dying world. But before we get to that, let me ask a question. What are you obsessed with? I thought about giving you 30 seconds to think about that, but maybe not. What are you obsessed with today? Perhaps our isolation, this shutdown that we're going through, reveals answers to that question. Maybe it's our status in life, our position, our job, our money, health, exercise, relationships, holidays, sport. The list is endless. Before this wilderness experience that we enter into in Psalm 63, it seems that David was obsessed with all kinds of things, himself mostly, his own comfort, his own needs. But Psalm 63 shows us a man changed, a man changed by grace, a man changed by the power and the presence of the gospel of God. And at the end of it, we see a man obsessed not by himself or his own wee world, but we see a man obsessed by God. And may it be so for you, for me, for us. Psalm 63, one of my favorite psalms. And there's three sections that I, um, and three headings that I want to highlight. I want God, verses 1 to 4. I enjoy God, verses 5 to 8. And I trust God, verses 9 to 11. The answer to living in a time of wilderness years. I want God, says David in verses 1 to 4. See, David was not scared of personal pronouns, and neither should we. My God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. So I ask the question again that we've asked in previous studies in the Psalms. Do you personally love him? Do you personally seek him and trust him? Do you want him? Is God the one you want today? Imagine having no water, being in a position, you're so thirsty, and there's little water. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can you imagine the conditions, the wilderness situation, deep, profound thirst, and yet he longs for God more than he longs for water? David, of course, is dry and weary in his soul, and he begins to realize that he needs God. He realizes he wants God. He thirsts for God. 
Could that be said of me today? David was not as close to God as he once had been. And perhaps it was this wilderness experience being chased by his own son. Maybe it revealed it all to him and drew him back to God. So don't be frightened by wilderness experiences. Sometimes God allows us to go through them so that we might realize where we're putting all our hope in, all the wrong things, the idols, the false hopes. Because it's then that we can turn and we can thirst for God and say, I want you more than anyone else or anything else. Until then, of course, we will be dissatisfied because nothing else can satisfy like him. I want God. And he thirsts for him, verse 1. And in verse 2, he craves God. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Buildings, temples, the sanctuary that he mentions there in verse 2 are important. Of course they are. And the people of God who met there are important. Of course they are. But you'll notice that it is God that he wants. And he longs to experience the power and the glory, the majesty of God. He's obsessed with God now. And that's a healthy and a holy obsession. Now think for one moment. If you lost everything, and sadly, of course, there will be some, maybe many, at the end of this time, may lose everything. If you lost everything, what would be the one thing that you would want? What would be the first thing that you would want? You see, the answer to that question tells you a lot about yourself. John Calvin says this, there are some people who are religious on the exterior, but they lack a true knowledge, a true saving knowledge of God. And the closer they are to religious ceremonies, the more spiritual they feel and the more they seem to long after God. But remove them from those religious ceremonies and their zeal for God vanishes. Now, look at David separated from the ceremonies of God in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, in the temple, separated from the people of God. And yet his heart still longs for God. He thirsts for God, not water, verse 1. He obsessed by God, not buildings or people. Thirdly, he marvels at the love of God the covenant-loving, keeping God. Verse 3, because your love, your covenant love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Literally there, the Hebrew says, your love is better than many lives. See, God's loving kindness, his covenantal love is vastly superior to any and all of the various blessings of many lives. Now, imagine you could 
string together all the blessings and the wonders of a hundred lives, bring them all together in a moment. David says, knowing God is better than all of those put together. You see, whatever you live for, whatever you have been obsessed by, David says, God's love is greater. God's love is better. John Piper talks about going hard after God so that he might be our satisfaction, our prize, our treasure, our soul food, our heart's delight. And sometimes it does take this kind of isolation of wilderness living where our idols are stripped away from us and our props are removed from us. Maybe it's then and only then that we realize that verse 3 is true because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And verse 4, he worships God. So he thirsts for God, he craves God, he marvels at the love of God, he worships God. And he's saying with all of this, I want you, God, I want you. You see, worship fuels all our actions. So what is worthy of our affection, our attention, and our allegiance? David says, I have learned a big lesson in these days. For as long as I live, you see what he says there? For as long as I live, I want to truly worship God. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I, I think what he's basically saying there is, is, Absalom, you can take it all. You know, my throne, my kingdom, my people, take it all. I want God. I wonder, has this time of isolation revealed your idols? your sin, your misplaced affections. Maybe it's a wrong view of the church, the wrong view of faith, the wrong view of God. Well, if that is the case, that's a, a good thing to discover right now in the grace of God. Confess your sin, repent of it, and make a promise. Make a promise kind of based on verse 4, as long as I live, as long as I live, as long as I live, whether it be short or whether it be long, I will praise you. I will worship you. Verses 1 to 4, I want God. That's, I suppose, the answer to wilderness living in a broken world. But verses 5 to 8, I enjoy God. That's what he seems to be saying there. So what do you treasure? What do you really enjoy? Because David says, God is better than the best of food. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David thinks back to the best banquet he'd ever been to. And that banquet pales in comparison to the joy that he gets in God. 
Now, I'm going to make you feel a wee bit hungry now, but think, think with me. Fillet steak, medium cooked. Think of chunky chips. Think pepper sauce. Think a few vegetables just to keep it healthier looking. Think of lemon meringue pie with ice cream down the side and fresh cream on top. Are you getting the picture? I'm feeling hungry. Better than this, says David, is enjoying God. You see, a satisfying meal represents heavenly joy in the Bible. Joy is found in God, and it's like joy found in good food. We all enjoy good food. But better is the joy found in God. Is your soul satisfied by Jesus, the richest of food? Or have we become a people consuming spiritual junk food? Oh, there's so much around today. Bad theology, poor doctrine, gospel light, man-centered, pleasure-seeking, soft on sin, minimizing Jesus. It's junk food. But the master shelf himself The Lord Jesus Christ has provided a spiritual diet that's sound and safe and satisfying. And and we can feed well and enjoy much and be satisfied. In the wilderness, we can be satisfied because of him. The true bread, the bread of life, the living water. He alone can satisfy. So feed well. And enjoy God as you do. You'll notice there in verse 6 that God can be, should be, the first and last thoughts of our day. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Do you suffer sleeplessness? Maybe it's because of your health. Maybe some, something you're fearing, something you're worrying about. Well, if you want to enjoy God, you've got to learn to praise God even on your pillow. Enjoy Him even there in the watches of the night when you feel most isolated and miserable. In verse 7, we can enjoy Him in the place of safety that He provides. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Now, picture an eagle with a wide wingspan and little eaglets, little baby eagles, safe and secure there under those wings. In the place of safety. Enjoy him. Why? Because he's in control. He will protect you. And in him you can be strong, safe, satisfied. You can enjoy him as he protects you. And verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Literally, it means to stick fast. My soul is stuck fast to you, being glued to him. That's the kind of image that David was thinking of. There's something vigorous here, something passionate, something committed. 
There's, there's no room for laziness or apathy. My soul clings to you. It's glued to you. It's wrapped in you. Maybe recently, maybe even over the last few years, if truth be told, there's been less clinging to him. There's been less being glued to him. And there's been more independent living of him where you've become proud, self-satisfied, bored with him and bored with his church. What an opportunity again to turn around and get this right. Enjoy him. Enjoy him by being glued to him and his people. So we might say we ought to prize him and cherish him and treasure him and glorify him and enjoy him, our primary purpose. That's how we survive and thrive in a barren, broken, and bad world. So how do we manage in a, a time of isolation? How do we manage in a place of isolation? I want you, God. I enjoy you, God. And thirdly, verse 9 to 11, I trust you, God. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David was facing awful trials. But he says three things about his enemies. It's not pleasant to read, but this is reality. He says they will die, verse 9. They will actually be slain in battle. And liars, the people who have lied against him, they will be silenced. That's what he says. We have no reason to believe that David knew how this was going to happen. He simply trusted he simply trusted that his God, the God he hungered for and thirsted for, would do this. So who or what do you trust in when under pressure? When all is dark and bleak and hopeless? There are many options out there, aren't there? We can trust ourselves. We can trust our own wisdom. We can trust all the people around us. We can trust politicians or accountants or scientists. And sometimes we have to go to these folks gifted by God. But have we learned the lesson of trusting the living God? Because you see, our real enemy is not COVID-19, dangerous as it is. Our real enemy is not a recession, likely as it is. Colossians 3, sorry, Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15 tell us that our real enemies have been silenced at the cross. That's why we read from that passage at the beginning of the service. Paul there says that the cosmic powers of evil were humiliated by Christ and put to open shame as he died on the cross. On the cross, Jesus purchased our freedom from vain pursuits and from trashy idols. 
He paid for our sins. The sin of treasuring other things or other people. The sin of selfishness or greed or lust. He paid for our sins. The sin of concentrating on outer beauty and outer fitness rather than inner beauty and inner fitness. He paid for our sin. The sin of failing to honor God, hungering for him, thirsting for him. The sin of chasing power and pleasure. The sin of proudly worshiping our idols. He silenced all our enemies. And he showed steadfast love to us as he did so, so that we might be rescued, his rescued people, saved by his grace. We can trust him. I should trust him because he deals with my real enemies. David knows that God is in control, that God actually uses evil to produce good, and that God is worthy of trust. Yes, folks, we live in a a broken world. It's all around us. So many broken hearts, broken bodies, broken families. And in these days of pain, we see that many of our props have been taken from us. Many of our idols have been shown to have failed us. Our trials attack us. Our fears torment us. So what do we do? The gospel tells us that we are free for eternity. And we love that idea, don't we? We love the idea of heaven, utter beauty and freedom. And we value that beautiful picture that we have in the scriptures about a new heaven and a new earth. But what about today? What about now? Are you free today? Are you free now? You will one day, but are you free now? Free from your idols free from your props, free from your sin. David says, God, I want you. I enjoy you. I trust you. That's the answer to living in our wilderness days. And Jesus has shown us that he has defeated all our real enemies and he's the one worthy of all our trust. May God bless you these days. And during this week that lies ahead, why don't you get involved in the digging deeper studies or even the, the family devotions and learn more and more about what the psalm has to say to us about the good news of our God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of a man changed by your grace, a man who was lost in his sin and in his rebellion and emptiness, a man who then, changed by you, could say, I want you, 
I enjoy you. I trust you. Father, would you help us to be able to say these three things with honesty, not just today, but each and every day, so that we'll be free, free now, free today, to glorify you and to enjoy you. We pray for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.